0: Welcome to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, where our team of former college coaches, players, and MLB scouts tackle the most critical college recruiting topics. With guests including college coaches, MLB pro scouts, and industry insiders, we will empower you with the tips and strategies needed to gain an advantage in your college recruiting process. The Sports Force Podcast is powered by our partner, 5-Tool Baseball. Okay, let's start the show. So, um... For those that, uh, I'll just kick this off again, Um, and that is high academic recruiting is one of the most popular areas of discussion that we get requested from parents and players around the country. Obviously, academics is part of the college experience, um, but it's also one of the most misinformed um, topics that are out there because it's complicated. It's competitive, um, it's confusing, and it's um, and it's also for most schools it's nationwide uh, how they recruit. Um, so, this is Andrew Beinbrink, I'm the CEO of Sports Force. Uh, I was recruited by high academic schools, uh, including Stanford um, and some Ivy League schools like Dartmouth. Uh, still friends with some of the coaches that recruited me out of high school. Um, as well as um, Naval Academy, where my dad went to school, but nonetheless, um, this recruiting, uh, high academic recruiting process. Coach Pew, who's on the call, uh, Coach, if you don't mind, give uh, giving your background, uh, both as a player, but mostly as a coach, and and how many high academic recruiting camps and you know events you've been to, and 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 what you you know a little bit of like a teaser of maybe what you're going to share tonight.
1: Sure. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I had started things off, but uh, I spent the last 20 years as a college reg- uh, college coach and recruiting coordinator at two very good academic institutions, Temple University in Philadelphia, as well as George Mason University here in Northern Virginia, where my family and I still live. I've been through this process with hundreds and hundreds of families, um, especially at two very high-end, higher-end academic schools. So Um, It is, like Andrew said, very competitive um, and and there are certain standards that everybody has to meet uh, that you're looking for. So I'm looking forward to sharing uh, my experience with everyone tonight.
0: Absolutely. Um, And so one of the topics that I was talking about um, previously was high academic camps. When do you go to them? Which ones do you go to? When does it make sense? And I would say arguably the biggest mistake that is being made right now is going to high academics, high academic camps, uh, and the players not ready for the camp um, to be able to showcase themselves in front of those coaches at that time. Um, And a lot of that is based on the skill level. Uh, and the maturity and the development of the athlete. Um, and Coach Pew has been in those chairs at these camps, you know, baking in the sun, um, you know, Saturday, Sunday, uh, all day. <laughs> like a lizard. Like a lizard. Um, and, you know, the reality is, is that we're here to educate families on this process and we don't pull any punches in this process as well. Um, and that if you don't, understand, um, what, what, what is required to determine if you're ready to go to a camp, then it's easy to make the mistake. Um, and for parents that are listening in, it's, it's totally understandable that, um, you're going to want to sign your, your son up to different camps and try to get him in front of college coaches. I think the biggest question, you know, you want to ask yourself is, does the timing make sense? Um, is this a good investment of time and energy? Um, and so what I was sharing, sharing earlier is there's five major components to evaluating when it makes sense to go to a camp, uh, for exposure purposes. And this is whether it's high academic or not, it could be Arizona state where I went. Um, and it comes down to five major things. Number one is what's the athletic, um, evaluation of that athlete. That means the speed, the power, the quickness, the agility, the strength. Number two is what is the skill evaluation. So the ability to hit, hit for power, uh field, throw, throw accurately, run, uh for pitchers velocity, secondary stuff, command, um and then the next one is what's the academic profile. And um we're going to be doing a master class on how the high academic process works in much more detail on Monday. Um and this is we're going to have a former Ivy League um, coach on that master class on Monday evening. Um, and what he'll talk about is even at the Ivy League level, they're looking for athletes first, students second. And this might be counterintuitive to what, um, you know, most people might think, um, but there's plenty enough smart baseball players that are out there um there's not enough smart baseball players um there's not enough sorry there's it's very competitive for the good athletes um to be able to have good enough grades to get into some of the high academic schools um sorry there's not enough of the most elite athletes um that are up there um to get into some of the highest academic schools but there's a ton of good athletes that have good enough grades to go to these high academic schools. So the coaches at high academic schools, especially at the division one level, um, are looking for the athlete first and good enough grades number two. And so grades are being evaluated more and more based on the, the rigor of the transcript. And coach Pugh is going to dive into that, uh, here shortly because he's looked at thousands of transcripts over his college career. Um, and then the, uh, the test scores matter for some schools. They don't matter for other schools. And that's a whole other area of confusion because COVID has made a ton of schools become more test optional. Um, and then the fourth piece is the recruiting timeline. Where are you on the recruiting timeline? Some schools, you know, start scouting recruiting players in the eighth and ninth grade. Other schools wait until the junior and senior year. Um, so knowing that is really important. Number five is what is your current recruiting status? What colleges have seen you play? Um, are you getting any interest? Are you a player that's being followed by schools? Um, all of that goes into this equation um, that we do with the athletes that we work with to then understand, okay, what is it, when does it make sense to go to a certain camp? Um, so that's a huge thing. If you take away one thing from this, uh, you know, this tonight is being able to understand what a complete evaluation looks like um, relative to choosing whether it makes sense to go to a camp or not. Um, The reality is a ton of the players at these camps are not ready for it. And those families are wasting hard earned money um, going to those camps. If they're looking for, significant and measurable recruiting exposure and interest which i would have to say a majority of them um are you know are are looking to do that so i guess coach pew you want to before we open it up for some other you know some other questions um do you want to weigh in on anything that i just touched
1: on uh sure I, i think the biggest thing uh based on what you said, Andrew, was that it's important to do your research and it's important, important to understand what schools uh, have moved to test optional due to the pandemic. And um, this was something when I was at George Mason University uh, a couple of years ago that everybody submitted SAT and or ACT score because Admissions offices look at both and they take whichever score is the highest. They have a concurrence scale where they can compare the two, but the test optional has become, I don't want to say the standard, but it has become closer to the norm with admissions. Um, The SAT, ACT score can have a bearing on whatever type of, and I know we'll we'll touch on this, um, Andrew, what sorts of merit-based aid might be available. Um, but that's that's my biggest takeaway from what you said and the one thing that I wanted to comment on. Um, and then also the rigor of the academic schedule. Um, schools do look at the, uh, the caliber of the high school that a young man is coming from, and they do use that comparatively. Um, so if you are at a for lack of a better term, a top-notch high school um, that offers a very intense academic program. Um, we'll use the arbitrary number of a 3.85 GPA. A 3.85 at that academic, academically rigorous uh, high school is going to be weighted differently than a... Actually, it's the other way, sorry. A 3.8 at a at most high schools uh, will be viewed differently than a 3.4 at a completely um, high-end, very rigorous high school. So those are my two, two takeaways from uh, what you had to say.
0: Yeah, good points uh, for sure. So not every transcript is made equally. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, making sure that you know, depending on the school, you're not just taking a bunch of AP classes just to take a bunch of AP classes. Because if you're a student athlete or if you're a student athlete on the call, if you're taking AP Spanish like I did and I had to drop my junior year because I wasn't doing well um, and it was, you know, frustrating as hell, um, that's not a good situation. I was already taking other AP classes like I didn't need to just stack more APs to my schedule. Um, so, I think the, the evaluation also academically to understand what aligns with your, uh, your student-athlete's profile or as, an, or, as, or as an athlete, what aligns with your academic profile uh, is important to consider as well. Um, I think the other, the other thing is depending on the school, uh, certain, certain schools can be high academic and not require the level of rigor that other schools do require. So Johns Hopkins, for instance, um, you know, Adam, who's, who's the associate head coach there and coach Bab there, like they're getting players that are having to not only do really well with their courses and their transcript, but also have to score really well. So, you know, 34s and above uh, is pretty typical for them. Um, you know, 1450, 1400 and above is typical for them. Uh, from that test score standpoint, there's a ton of other schools that are also labeled high academic that are in the top 20, 40 in the country that don't even need close to those numbers to get recruited by. Um, and I'll just weigh in on this point, And that is there's arguably no other bigger advantage in the re- in the admissions process than being a recruited student athlete. So that trumps um, a ton of other we'll call it measurements or evaluate evaluation criteria. If the coaches say we want to get John into our school and we've evaluated his transcript, we think it's good enough. They're going to submit it into their admissions department as a, you know, as a preferred spot and slot, then they're going to review it. And a very, very, very large percentage of the time, the admissions office is going to approve it. And coach, why don't you weigh in on that? Because you've been in been in on a ton of those conversations with the admissions departments at the schools you've been a part of.
1: Absolutely, that is that is one thing that is very true about high academic schools. Um, slots is the right word to use, and each one of those high end academic schools they have they have to fill a roster first and foremost, and The rosters are still a little bit expanded right now because of the the COVID pandemic and extra years of eligibility, Uh, but in order for them to be able to fill those spots, there has to be some wiggle room, uh, and and that might be the best way to say it. So, sure, they might be able to, again, to use arbitrary numbers, um, a a 4-0 with a certain course rigor and it has to be a 33 plus ACT for general admission or 15 you know 1450 plus SAT for the general student population those academic schools have slots where a certain number it might be 2 it might be 5 per year that athletics is allowed to bring in as long as the remainder of their recruiting class meets the minimum requirements or exceeds the minimum requirements. That's the only way that those schools can fill their rosters. Um, But at the same time, like Andrew said, it is is still athlete first, student second. So they still want to bring in players that are going to help them win championships uh, because that only aids in the recruiting process down the road.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Let's open it up for some questions. I mean, this is a hot topic. I know there's parents on this call that have questions like we're here to be able to field these. We're donating our time. This is not uh, nobody's paying us to do this right now. Uh, we do a ton of these. Um, we we're here to, you know, provide value to the community. Um, you know, our company has been in this for 13 plus years. Uh, our main core business is advising families. Uh, of athletes that are good enough athletically and academically to play at the next level. Uh, we go through a rigorous evaluation process to determine if it's a good fit. Um, you know, for us to work together with a family because there's a ton of athletes um, that would love to play college baseball, but the numbers tell us that two percent of them will play division one and another eight to nine percent will play division two or below uh, at the college level. So, you know we have to be quite selective with uh, who we advise and work with when it's one-on-one because we we talk and we contact you know these coaches on a regular basis and you know we're in touch with um, hundreds of college coaches every month because college coaches don't have the time to go see every player play um, they they're relying on other people to help um, confirm or you know support their recruiting process and so relationships are are a huge part of that um and so but would love to open it up um any questions that uh people have and i'll check the dm to see if there's any more questions that have come in over dm as well um let's see
1: and folks, you're free to DM me as well. Um, I'm listed as a co-host on there uh, at Coach Pew Seventeen. If, if there's questions you want to DM me, feel free as well. Yep. Um, all right. So another another question here, you know,
0: comes up to um, Division three versus Division one. Um, so a huge topic for sure. Uh, what's the experience like and Coach Pew, I'm just going to have you weigh in on that. and in, in your experience, you know a ton of, like, D3 coaches that you're friends with. Um, you have an idea of how they practice, how they develop versus, uh, you know, the Division One schools you've coached at and, and developed and recruited for. Um, yeah, I'd love for you to just break down, you know,
1: what the differences are. Sure. The difference between the Division One and the Division Three level, um, just in general um, – it, it, it actually it's more about the time that's available for the student athletes to be on the field with the coaches, especially in the fall, uh, but then into the off season. There are hour limitations, much stricter hour limitations in the fall uh, for Division three than there are for Division one coaches um, in in the fall. Division three. Uh, they can only spend four days a week on the field with their players, uh, a grand total of 16 hours, so uh, per week. So they have to budget their time very well. Um, that's not saying that Division Three schools develop their players any less than Division One programs do. They just have to be smarter with their time. And um, but the the model of Division Three is that athletics is there to augment the educational experience with division one. As I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, um, they, they being institutions, they still want to compete for championships. And so from an athletic side, I'm not saying it's more, not saying it's less competitive at any different level. Um, but, there might just be a a little bit of a different, there might be a little bit of a different, uh, emphasis placed on, on winning, uh, at the division one level than there is the division three level. And I've coached at both levels. Uh, so I've experienced both. Um, but that's the difference between the division one division three models is, um, it's time. It's what the mission is. And, um, that's, that's the biggest difference in my take.
0: Yeah, I'll add a little bit to that, and that is that, um, you know, depending on the Division three school you go to, you, you might have a chance to do a semester abroad your junior year during the fall. Um, that's not going to happen at any Division one school that I've heard of uh, if you're playing baseball. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, BP, if you've ever had that ever have percent.
1: I am 100% in agreement and I have experienced it 100%.
0: <laughs> so, um, but anyway, that, that college experience is uh, can can be very different. Um, now, there's a lot more Division three schools that would fall under a high academic category um, than... Division one schools that are out there, not a ton more, but there's, there's a good amount of division three academic schools. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's something you got to be mindful of as well. And I would say one other big distinction to keep in mind is that a ton of players that we see, uh, and that we talk to, we speak at a lot of different events. Um, you know, they're, they're taking the approach of, you know what, I'm going to shoot for these, uh, these Ivy league schools. I'm going to chase down, you know the highest level possible, and and then they don't consider Division three schools until the last minute. The problem with that is the Division three coaches are making relationships and building um, rapport and, and building confidence with players earlier than you if you're not considering Division three at all. Now, if you're a bona fide high academic Division one player. And you have the metric to align with the Division One level, then yeah, of course you don't have to consider Division Three schools. Like I wasn't considering any Division Three schools in my process. But unless you're that, and that's and 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 to be to be clear, unless that is verified, objectively evaluated, that you are you know a bona fide like high academic Division One student athlete, then. I would highly recommend that you keep your minds open to all levels based on if the school is an academic fit for you um, in this process and be open-minded and stay humble because we're all friends with uh, high academic Division three coaches and some of these schools have players um, that would have been Division I players If they were a year older coming out of high school, they just didn't have enough time to develop. And so I don't want people on the call to think that, um, you know, every Division three school is, you know, such a huge degree below, um, you know, high academic Division one schools uh, that are because some of the best high academic Division three schools could compete with high academic Division One schools that are on the lower Division One level. Um, I'm not saying like Chapman University in California is going to be able to do well in the three-game series versus Vanderbilt, um, but I'm telling you Chapman in, in, in California would be able to compete, you know, against Cornell 100%. Um, I don't know who's going to win that series, to be honest with you. Um, some weekends it might be Cornell. Some weekends it might be, um, uh, you know, Chapman. So um, does anybody want to be unmuted and, uh, and, and ask a question? If so, you know how to raise your hand and, and we'll unmute you um, as well. I guess, uh, you know, Coach Pew, is there anything uh, you wanted to add? Um, I know you wanted to talk about early decision, E.D., so let's jump into that because that's a big deal. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So I think it's important that everybody understands there. there's a couple different um, application types, if you will, as, and, and it could be a, if you were a non high academic student athlete as well. Uh, there might be some, some fringy guys that uh, and families that, uh, are tuning in or that listen to this in the replay as well. So those fringe you guys, like there's, there's a couple different ways that you can apply to a school. So the first is early decision and early decision. Uh, when you apply that way to a school, that basically means, Hey, you're my top choice. And if I am admitted here, I'm in, like I'm ready to pay my deposit. Like I'm in, no, no doubt about it. Um, those decisions from the admissions department come earlier in the year, generally speaking, the first admissions decisions, uh, when you look at general admissions, they're coming out somewhere in, uh, mid November, those early decision student athletes and and students in general, you're looking at those coming out mid October to the beginning of, of November. You're the best way to say it is you're a shoe in. If we if we accept you, you're coming. Then you have early action, which early action is basically we'll use the number of five. You're in my top five, maybe top three, and if I'm admitted, you're gonna factor into my final decision. It might it, it might depend on the other schools that I'm applying early action to, but you're not as a family and as a student athlete saying that if I get into to school, I'm coming. Um, and then you have the general admissions process. Uh, the general admissions process is typically, um, you know, early to mid November for institutions. And um, that still those it, decisions from families from young men. Those could linger on until midwinter. We'll call it January, February till maybe some academic, um, or I shouldn't say academic, till some financial aid packages are released. Um, And with that in mind, every school is a little bit uh, different with regards to when they um, notify families uh, as far as the um, financial aid Packages, but usually early decision, you're going to be admitted and you're going to be told what your act, what any kind of financial aid package looks right looks like right away because you've indicated that I'm in. Early action is a couple of weeks later. Um, they're still going to get that. Uh, they should still get that financial aid package to you so that you can weigh that against the other schools that you um, applied to as early action, and then the general admission uh, is like I said, mid, mid-November um, admissions decisions, and they might have a longer timeline on the back end with financial aid packages before they would look for you to make a decision as a family and, and as a student
2: athlete.
0: That was awesome, man. I've never heard anybody break it down uh, with that detail. So, um, and I've heard a lot of academic talks. I've heard a lot of high academic college coaches talk as well. And uh, I don't think most of them even know, <laughs> know all the details. Um, so appreciate you breaking that down like that. Uh, Give me the please. mic. Yeah. Give me the mic. No doubt. Um, so I mentioned this earlier. Um, we are doing a master class on Monday where we're going to take more time to go into deeper topics. Um, if that's something that you're interested in um, learning about, and getting access to we're not charging for it we've done a ton of these master classes um, with players all over the country um but you got to dm us um and you have to retweet the post that is on the uh on the twitter account right now um and we'll we'll send you over an invite to that as well so um and if you retweet it we'll also send you the masterclass guide pdf that we have um so But um, that is something that these master classes have something that we've just, we didn't plan on doing these as many as we have, but what happened is parents and players just kept saying, we want to learn more about this. And so we would do a master class on it. We've done them on college camps. We've done them on high academic recruiting. We've done it on Ivy League specific recruiting. Uh, We've done it on senior, uncommitted seniors shoot, we've done it on, you know, metrics and scouting benchmarks. Um, so straight is, up
1: open Q and A's.
0: Yeah, we've done an open, uh, you know, open recruiting Q and A for uncommitted players. Um, we'll probably do some more in the future on like financial aid and how that works for college, for colleges, which is a huge deal. Um, and then I think another, you know, one could be on, um, what do you call it? Just, um, you know, getting into the player development process and, you know, how to determine the right approach on the player development side of things as well. Uh, when you're choosing colleges, because that's a huge deal when you're evaluating, you know, selecting the right fit. Um, so like I said, DM us, um, you know, for that zoom, um, uh, invite and link, um, and we'll we'll get that over to you. Uh, another question came in here and that was um, I'm on the West Coast right now. I'm looking for schools on the East Coast uh, to get recruited. You know, I only have a chance to get out east like one time this summer. Uh, you know, what what would you recommend? So um, I know, BP, you recruited kids all over the country and some all over the world. Um, you know, what worked for you that, you know, also works um you know, for, for coaches and, and, and you advise different athletes all over the country as well that are looking at high academic recruiting. So right, just kind of break down, you know, a little bit more about, about that process on getting coaches
1: attention. Sure. Uh, number one, and, and I think the most important thing is there has to be a game plan involved. Um, there, there are people out there that will say, hey, we can help you get recruited by so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. What it really comes down to is the person, people that you have helping you, what kind of connections they have. Um, And this is a great example. And I can actually reverse this uh, as well, because I have had Um, a couple of um, young men and families that are here on the East coast where I am. And they're interested in West coast schools, but they're interested in high end West coast schools, high academic West coast schools. So it's about who has the ability to connect you as a family, you as a player to those coaches and put you in front of them. High academic schools and contrary to popular belief, there are a lot of players that would consider themselves high academic, and on the surface, schools would consider them high academic, um, because they just look at a GPA, and we talked about, um, and, and, and academic rigor, and, and we talked about Um, that, you know, when we first started, Um, but then college coaches, especially with limited recruiting budgets, um, limited time, and it's with high academic schools, they do recruit all over the country. I'm not sure that our listeners this evening understand that at the division one level, when you look at the staff, you can, you can go pick and let's just take, I, I don't know. Let, let's take, let's take Stanford. I, I don't want to pick an Ivy league school. Let's let's take Stanford. Okay. They have their head coach that, and they have two full-time assistants. Then they have a volunteer. Then they have a director of ops. They have people who are involved in player development, um, video, all those sorts of things. Let, let's just say they have eight people that are on their staff. Only three of those people listed on their staff are allowed to leave campus to go recruit. When you think of how vast the United States is, how many players, high school aged players there are out there and we are pushing almost 600,000 high school players that are out there. Yes, we're talking about a niche, but it is still such a big pool that they start with. It is impossible, virtually impossible for them to go see everybody that might be a good fit for them. So who are you working with? Do you have a travel coach that is connected and is advocating for you? Do, are you working with sports force who we utilize our own personal networks of coaches? And I can tell you that personally, every single Ivy league school, all the high academic schools here on the East Coast and even schools out on the West Coast are in my personal phone book and I have relationships with them where I can pick up the phone and call them. So who are you using to help you get that advantage? Um, it's, it's, it's hard, no doubt about it. It is really hard. So um, if you're on the West Coast and you're looking to get to the East Coast, make sure that whomever you're working with, um, whether it be a a travel coach an advisor, whatever it might be like, there has to be a game plan. There has to be somebody that can connect you to those coaches, those staffs, because that's how you get in front of players. Coaches trust coaches, coaches trust people that they have relationships with. That is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, it's huge breaking it down like that. Um, and it goes back to just the, the limited amount of time and, and how many players there are. And, you know, a college coach is typically going to see a player in the recruiting process maybe throw three times if they're lucky in person. Maybe see them get six or eight at-bats in person. Um, it's just such a limited window um, of, of how much you're going to be able to see a player play in person. Uh, so the cross-checking...
1: And because that, that window is limited, video has to be on point. I mean, yep. it has to be on point as well. It is such a huge component. And player social media has to be on point because when you go back to when COVID first, you know, set in on everybody, Division One schools were grounded. They could go nowhere. Division Two, II, Division Three, they could go out. Division one play, uh, coaches relied on social media, stream games, clips coming through on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be. It was like, that's how they, we, ha- I had to do it for the better part of 18 months. It is. It was stressful. And there might've been some mistakes made. I, like, I don't know, but there might've been some mistakes made, but that's how we had to do it. But what we know now is- and, and what coaches know now is the power of social media and really, really, really good video and making sure that the highlights and the clips that coaches want to see are in your video. Um, but I'm telling you, man, the social media part, especially Twitter, because it's so instant. It it has to be on point.
0: Yeah. It's a huge point that, um, and, If you're a parent getting video, keep doing it. Make sure you're getting good video from the right angles. Um, Just getting video to get video is often not valuable. Coaches that see a few clips that just are not shot from the right angles, they just don't have the time. They're going to skip it unless your son's like, you know, all-American level status and they can look. And a college coach in three swings or three pitches can determine if they want to watch any more video. And sometimes it's just one pitch and one swing and they're done. So um, to, to BP's point, um, putting video in the right order at the right time um, is really important. Putting out bad video um, can, you know, can kind of just really um, sidetrack uh, the recruiting you know, process and exposure. Um, and we have a bunch of players that reach out to us you know, hey, can you retweet this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And um, it's like, no, we can't, um, you know, because we just can't retweet every player that's, you know, on, on the internet. Um, that's not fair to the coaches that, uh, that follow us. Uh, there's a bunch of other retweet accounts that are out there, um, and that's, I think, become very noisy to college coaches as well. So having a strategic approach on social media, Having a strategic approach, you know, to the outreach, um, is, is really critical. And then another huge thing is the ability to communicate with college coaches when you're a player and you start having phone calls, you start getting in text message conversations with college coaches, uh, just making sure that you're ready to communicate in a confident, clear and professional manner is a huge deal as well. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna save a little bit of that for the master class on Monday because that's a that's just a huge topic uh, that players can separate themselves um, uh, in the recruiting in the recruiting process. So a couple of questions came through. Um, and so a uh, question here is, um, how do coaches view players in the recruiting process that are injured? Uh, so a twenty three sideline for summer, surgery to come, still hitting fielding for summer until surgery we'll be back on the mound in the spring. So this is a challenge. I mean, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, depending on, you know, your ability as a player prior to surgery, um, is going to be a huge deal. So hopefully you have some documented metrics and video and whatnot. Um, depending on what surgery it is. Um, I wasn't told what surgery it is. I assume it might be Tommy John or something like that. Um, And then what the appetite is for that school to take that risk um, relative to that. And they just need to see a previous track record of very, very solid um, projectability in that athlete um, to to be able to give a shot. Uh, Depending on the the skill level of the athlete who's going through surgery, uh, they're likely going to have to shoot lower than what their expectations might be, um, or they're going to have to wait until the absolute end in the spring to get recruited as late as possible. Um, and so with that said, you also got the JUCO route and being able to go the junior college route. Uh, but JUCOs recruit as well, so it's not as though you can just um, you know, walk on there and, and, and make the team. Um, so this is a, this is a, a difficult scenario. Getting injured your junior year, missing all of your summer, all of your fall, um, or being very limited, you know, to your ability to perform. And I don't know the position of this player, um, so that also comes into the to the equation. Um, but at the end of the day, if you take away one thing from from tonight, being able to have and get an evaluation to understand where you are in the process, um, how you stack rank against other players in the same position across the country, not just in your city or your state, but across the country, especially if you're looking getting recruited by schools out of state. You need to understand that. Um, and then what it is that, that needs to be evaluated and done um, to have a game plan that makes the most sense. Um, so, um, we're about to launch something here shortly that, um, is going to be exciting. It's where we're doing, uh, these complete, uh, recruiting and scouting evaluations of athletes, and we're going to make it very affordable, uh, to be able to do this. Um, so that's something we're going to be announcing, uh, next week as well, uh, because what we've seen is just how many players and, and, uh, and, and parents, and it's no fault of your own, it's just. You, you don't have an objective, honest, and real assessment and understanding of, you know, what the athletic, academic, uh, skill level and recruiting timeline evaluation look like. So without that, it's like, you know, flying blind, uh, you know, or, um, and so we don't want families to, uh, you know, to have that experience where, like, you feel like you're flying blind and flying blind, um, spending a lot of money flying blind is also not a good, a good recipe. That's kind of a, uh, you know, a recipe for a lot of stress and uh, and just, it's not ideal. Uh, so, anyway, I went off on a little bit of a tangent on that, but uh, let me let me jump into another question, and I'll I'll share this with you, BP. So, um, how does EDEA? Uh, impact recruiting efforts and scholarship opportunities either merit or athletic is an athlete less likely to get money because they are because they are sh- a sure thing or highly interested?
1: So a couple years ago um, there were some restrictions on division one schools where, when everybody at, at the division one level, if they are, we'll call it fully compensated, fully funded from an athletic scholarship standpoint, which is 11.7 scholarships that have to be chopped up over 27 players. And it has to be a minimum of 25%. Um, I know it's a lot of math. Um, it makes sense to me just because I've dealt with it. Um, but it, It used to be where if a student athlete was on the minimum of 25% and because of their academic prowess, um, they uh, were eligible and received, let's just say an additional $20,000 in in scholarship money, whatever that $20,000 percentage wise, that ended up getting added to the uh, the baseball and the athletic scholarship, and that jockeyed with what the actual amount of scholarship that the college programs had to spend. The NCAA a couple years ago basically said, "All right, but we're going to differentiate, and, and we're, we're there's going to be a cutoff. So if a school offers a player thirty five percent." And they get another $20,000 in academic money. Well, that $20,000 in academic money does not count against whatever scholarship allotment that the, the program has. And I probably should have prefaced this by saying that, yes, the full allotment is 11.7 scholarships, but not every program has that full amount. I've been at a program that has the full amount, and I have been at a program that had nine. So like when you factor in at the time that that additional $20,000 counted against your scholarship allotment, that it kind of handcuffed you as a coach, but that is no more at this point. Um, So I've also been in a situation where I've recruited a young man that we were going to offer the minimum scholarship, 25%. Um, and that's of the total cost of attendance. That is tuition, room and board, and fees. That's how you figure total cost of attendance, tuition, room and board, and fees, the three, the three aspects of total cost of attendance. He was so well off academically that he qualified for what was deemed a presidential scholarship, and that covered almost... 80% of his cost of attendance plus it covered a semester of study abroad and, and other things that he basically had money in his pocket that he could go spend on certain aspects of his education. So the fact that the academic standing and what he was awarded trumped what we would have offered him from an uh, from an athletic standpoint, I flat out told him, I said, dude, and this is me being me. I said, dude, t- take the academic scholarship. Like, it, it's so much more valuable. What that also did was that allowed us to take that 25% and go invest that in another player that, as luck would have it, both players ended up being drafted. So, um, but the um, if there is if you're at the Division One level because Division Three cannot offer athletic scholarship, if you're at the Division One level and there's a really 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 good financial aid package that would trump the, the athletic scholarship it doesn't mean that that player is any less, we'll call it valuable than someone that's on athletic scholarship. Um, At the end of the day, as I said, when we first started, schools are looking for players first that can help them win and can contribute to a championship culture. So whether that be because, they got a boatload in financial aid slash academic money, or because they got less in financial aid, academic, but they got maybe a little bit more in baseball scholarship money. It's all the same. If you can go out and perform and compete and help your team win games and, and compete for championships, that's what, that's what coaches are looking for on the field. So, um, I wouldn't put too much stock into – when I say not put too much stock, don't put too much stock into um, a school saying, well, look, what we were going to offer you is way less than what the financial aid package and and merit-based package would be. You should take that because it's a great opportunity. When it's all said and done, when you come out of college, you want to come out of college – with the least amount of debt possible and in 20 in in 20 years uh but 10 years of offering scholarships the division one level i can tell you that in 10 years i offered two full scholarships two out of the hundreds of players that i recruited so it's all partial scholarships so you have to weigh what works best for your family um but coaches don't view things any differently if you're a scholarship player versus somebody that got a great financial aid package.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, who can help the team, who can contribute, who can help? Um, Well, we're going to take one more question, then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Appreciate everybody being part of this. As I mentioned, we're doing Monday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to do a master class. Coach Pugh is going to be dropping knowledge bombs on that, as well as Coach Grasse. Um, and it's a it's a hot topic as we know. So if you're just joining and you haven't been listening the whole time, uh, DM us if you want to get access to uh, the Monday um, masterclass uh, that we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing. And it's going to be you have to register. It's a limited amount of players and parents that can be part of it. Uh, so it's not unlimited like this Twitter space could probably host you know, 10,000 listeners at the same time. So Zoom doesn't allow us to do that. Um, but um, I guess the final uh, question that, uh, that has come up that I want to, that I want to answer or look into is, um, let me just pull it up here. Um, yeah. So this is a good one. So I, um, when it comes to recruiting in general, what are the advantages and disadvantage of a, of a gap year program and you know, the postgrad? Um, so, um, I'm going to take a look here and, uh, see if, uh, Matt, if you want to unmute yourself, you're welcome to, uh, to unmute yourself. If you want to talk a little bit about that, um, if not, you're not in a position to, don't worry about it. But um, I guess, you know, BP, you've had, uh, you know, in your recruiting experience, some players look at post you know, the post-grad opportunity. Uh, I'm sure you've also known some of the post-grad schools uh, that have popped up over the last five years uh, around the country. What, what's your take on good academic students, maybe not getting the recruiting opportunities coming out of high school that they want, um, want to look at doing a post-grad opportunity, whether that's like, you know, there you are, Matt. Um, you want to weigh in on this?
2: Yeah, I certainly can. Um, so it's really going to depend on, on which post-grad it is. And they all kind of have a different mission, um, a different goal for each individual player. So a lot of them are going to be development driven, Uh, it's going to be, um, especially for the higher academics, it's going to be how much better can we get you in the amount of time that you're here. Um, and so that's, that's what I was a part of. I've been part of a post-grad program. Um, and that's, that's kind of what it was, especially for our higher academic guys. It's uh, a lot of development and then a lot of exposure, um, based on, like we've talked about before your contacts, right? So the, the people that you've trusted, uh, with your time, with your money, with whatever investment you're making, um, you know, what contacts do they have and, and where where is your time and money best spent? Um, and so every postgrad is going to be a little different. I'm out here on the East Coast um, and that's been my experience down here. Um, however, you know, it, it's going to be different kind of wherever you go. But it, it is certainly a good option, just like the junior college thing can be uh, division one, division three. I mean, wherever wherever you're looking, it's going to be different for every athlete. Uh, the number one thing to remember as I've kind of listened through this um, this whole conversation here is the biggest thing is going to be coaches are looking for who's going to help me win games. Um, so, you know, the, the high academic thing is very important. And I know, uh, Andrew, you touched on that earlier, but the, the number one thing here is they are going to focus on their job, which is winning baseball games first. Um, so... Not to get off on too much of a tangent from the post-grad thing here, uh, but the the objective of what you're trying to do here is help these coaches win baseball games.
0: Yeah, and I'll just weigh on this, and BP, you can as well, but some post-grad programs are looked at favorably by high academic. We'll just say Ivy League. I'll just go right to the point. Some Ivy League programs will look at a post-grad school uh, and say, yes, we approve. And then some of them will say, no, that's not going to work. Um, and, you know, it's not simple to to break that down on this, on this call because it's all case by case basis. It also has to look at the, the student athletes, you know, transcript coming out of high school to understand that. Also, was there interest from that school that was, you know, in the in the senior year, but they just didn't want to want to pull the trigger as a college and they want to, you know, delay for another year, some schools will do that. So there's a lot that goes into evaluating that that post-grad decision and opportunity. Um, And there's more and more post-grad schools that are coming up uh, in this, you know, in the U.S. So that's just, I guess, adding a little bit more complexity, you know, to this recruiting process if you're considering the post-grad route. And for some athletes, it makes a ton of sense, uh, you know, to go that post-grad route. Um, and then I don't know if there's anybody on the portal, you know, here tonight, uh, but we've been, um, we've done a few portal spaces in the last couple of weeks that Coach Pugh's led. And um, that's just a, a very different animal uh, as well. But there's still some high academic schools are looking at players on the portal too. So it isn't just we'll call it mid or low range academic schools on the portal, you know, to find, you know, other players. But uh, yeah, BP, was there anything else you wanted to add uh, before we wrap it up?
1: No, I'm good. Uh, Going back to the last question. Well said, Matt, well said, Andrew, that was, that was very, very well put as far as the, uh, the post-grad side of things go. It's um, it is, it's, it's a growing, it's growing in popularity. Um, And if you're considering it, just make sure that you understand where courses are coming from and making sure that they are going to count towards credits at the four year institution that you would transfer to. Awesome.
0: And yeah, I I mentioned something earlier on the call about that um, complete college recruiting and scouting evaluation. This is a program that we're going to be launching next week. Um, it's, we're going to make it very, very affordable. So if that is something that, uh, you have an interest in being one of the first kind of groups of people, uh, or a first, one of the first families to take advantage of it, um, let us know, DM us, shoot us an email. Um, we will, um, that will be done on a first come first basis. And, um, based on what we've been researching and the feedback is, um, you know, it's going to be well-received. Uh, cause again, knowing where you are as a student athlete, as a family, knowing what opportunities are out there in terms of colleges and, and recruiting and what needs to be done to set yourself up to become a recruited student athlete and then how to do that it is all going to be part of, um, our evaluation and consultation process. Um, because it's just absolutely needed, um, with what's going on out there. So thanks again, everybody for your time and glad we were able to, uh, get, uh, get this right technically and, uh, and host tonight. (laughs) And, and again, if, uh, if you're interested in either getting on the waiting list for that, uh, recruiting evaluation consultation and or want to be get an invite to the upcoming masterclass that is free on Monday for High Academic Recruiting Masterclass, send us a DM, text us, email us, carry your pigeon, whatever method is going to work, and um, we're here to support uh, the community as much as possible. So have a good one, guys. Take care. Adios. Thanks for being part of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast and our partner Five Tool Baseball. You can easily subscribe on iTunes and check us out online at Sportsforce Baseball for every past episode of our podcast. If you want to ask questions, share insights and recommend future guests, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Sportsforce BB and Facebook under Sportsforce Baseball. Be sure to join us on our next episode of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast. And remember, your college decision isn't a four-year one, it's a 40-year one.